Welcome back, Two Hats family, to the Two Hot Two Hats podcast. I always do that. I swear every week. <laughs> every week. It's hard saying Two Hats podcast. Two Hats podcast. It's hard. Welcome for back, you. y'all. Now we're gonna keep that in there because we we do we do we're doing it live and raw. So uh welcome back, y'all. This is uh episode twenty-two. I'm Chris, the tactical probation officer, and this is my lovely co-host. It's Brittany, your favorite PO. Uh, we'll, we'll see if she's really your favorite, guys. Oh, y'all already know. It's no <laughs> disputing that. It's no disputing. <laughs> hey, guys, we have our uh, newest family member here on, Josh. And uh, Josh, go ahead and say hi to the people. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? All right, all right. Uh, I know it's uh, just kind of give a background, y'all. This this podcast is to support probation, parole, Community corrections, community supervision, pretrial services, juvenile probation, and all that. We are here to bridge that gap, to put awareness out there of this career, this field, um, to let everyone know that you know there are 50 states, and within those states, there are hundreds and thousands of counties, and they all do things differently. So if this is a career field that you're in, interested in, definitely listen to our previous episodes. Um see how different places do things and see if that fits you. Um, you know, even though Brittany and I, you know, we're both POs, both our jobs in terms of where we were, were different, similar, but different. So uh, we got Josh on t- today. Uh, he's going to talk to us about his position, where he is and how they do things. And we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Josh, wh- wh- where are you located at? Uh, located in the uh, southwest, down in Arizona. Arizona. I, work in a I think fairly we, fairly small region. Did we interviewed somebody from Arizona before, didn't we? I feel like we did. I think we did. I look. I got looked at the episodes. You know, you know, you get older, that memory starts going. Yes, <laughs> uh, Um, but definitely. So uh, let's kick it off with our standard questions. Uh. On a two-hat scale between one and ten, with one being a social worker and ten being a law enforcement officer, police officer, deputy sheriff, where would you say your department is on a two-hat scale? Um, I'd say I'll give you two separate answers. We sit right in the center, but it depends on not only the individual – but the caseload you're on. So when you said when you said individual, you mean the offender or the PO? The offender and the you know yeah some of our some of our officers lean, will lean a little bit more toward um, following that that law enforcement side. But again, that's the caseload that they sit on. Um, but. Each each case, each person's some per some well some some clients need more of that social worker aspect, where some clients need that more law enforcement style aspect. You know, so it's not just a black and white. You know, hey, you've got to be more of a law enforcement officer all the time, or hey, you've got to be more of a social worker all the time. You know, you have to be able to take that hat throw it and quickly throw on the other hat, depending on what's going on. So it's not always, you know, you got to walk that fine line depending on what's happening. That's so, good. The fact that your, your department kind of gives you the flexibility to do that. Some don't. Um, so my question then follow-up is where, where is Josh on the two hat scale? If the department's in the middle, where are you at? <laughs> um, I'm right down the middle because of the caseload that I hold. Because uh, I'm drug court. Okay. So, my man, my man. So both of y'all are drug court officers. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So tell us, talk, talk to the people more about that uh, ability to change hats and dealing with different offenders and their needs and how you address them. Talk, talk to the people more about that. Um. Well, I mean, as you know, with drug court, I'm fairly new to drug court still. I I worked, I started juvenile 
went to intensive and then got pulled into drug court. So intensive, it's really easy to switch those hats. It's just, uh, you know, Hey, I've been trying to work with you. You're not in compliance. You're not following what you're supposed to be following. Hey, it's time to follow that law enforcement aspect, pull one hat off, throw the other hat on. Let's go. Um, drug court. It's a little bit more touchy because you have a whole team. So it, it's not the, all right, hey, we've, you know, as a, you know, hypothetical, you've got a guy who's continuously following the same path he's been. You know, he's hanging around with the same people. He's not following directives that have been given to him. He's still using, he's still reoffending. You know, I can't just, hey, you're getting a PTR. We're going to do a warrantless, you know, arrest. We're going to take you back to the jail and we'll see what the judge says. So you can't just pull one hat off as a social worker, trying to work with them, get them through treatments, sit and talk with them, get them into counseling, you know, give them all these different, uh, you know, opportunities and then quickly change. You have to take it to the team and you have to see what the team does. But as soon as, you know, you have a plan of attack, you know, you see what the, um, the PO says, you have to see what the uh, county attorney says, what the defense attorneys say, and what the judge says, and you all agree on it, and you come to that conclusion of what you're going to do. Then you can kind of, all right, hey, this hat's coming off, this hat's going on, if that's the path they want to take. So there's so a little you bit more. Make your own arrest in Arizona? Yeah. Okay. So um, when we're on the job, we are viewed as law enforcement in the realm of our clients. Gotcha. So it's not like we're on duty. Oh, Hey, we're see we see somebody committing a crime. We can go and address that. Um, now if, you know, local sheriff or local PD request our assistance, we can help them if we choose. So. Choose oh, now that's so. interesting. Chris, can you do that? Yeah. Yes, we have the authority to um, assist law enforcement. I think the way it's worded is in cases of emergency in order to affect an arrest or to prevent escape. I think that's the way the word the wording is in our policy. So, you know, if they're like, if there's something that's going on and they need us right then and there, we can do it. Uh, but it's not like, you know, they're coming to us and say, hey, we're going on serve a warrant. Do you want to come? It's not like that. Um, not for us we can go to them and say hey we're serving a warrant do you want to come Um, then they can make a choice Um, but yeah we can't just help them with any anything and everything so um, we are considered law enforcement officers in our state we do have um, full arrest we do have arrest powers over those on probation and parole in our state Um, and we can do some arrest for like certain kind of felonies if they are committed in our presence. Um, yeah. Yeah. But most likely it would just be more of a detaining and contacting lo- local law enforcement. We don't file like new charges on people. No. Yeah. So Josh, what makes yeah, you want to get into this field in the beginning? Um, I always refer back to, I got lost on my way to college. <laughs> elaborate please Um, so just like similar to the uh the the gentleman from alaska you had on i was a hellraiser growing up um made a lot of bad decisions finally got my my head partially removed from my backside when i turned 18 and i went straight into the army and did my time in the army Decided I wanted to make a career out of it. And the Army said, hey, you're too too messed up. Bye. Uh, got out. Did some contracting. Did some private security work. Started taking my head and pushing it back in my backside again. And um, put myself in some bad situations. And started going down some bad paths and a couple people 
put some time into me. And nobody did that for a long time. Like they actually, Hey, you know, you're not alone. They did that whole, you know, social worker aspect. And after that, you know, I kind of remembered that I had goals and I had dreams and that steered me back onto the path that I remembered. I wanted to be as a kid, you know, I wanted to be in law enforcement. I wanted to help people, you know, I wanted to be somebody that the community looked up to that wasn't just another person. You know, I didn't want that normal nine to five job. I didn't want that, you know, just, just running the mill job. And after, you know, some hard work, some long hours, I was able to get myself back into a position where I could start going there. Um, the county I'm with had some open positions and I started applying and it took me about a year and a half to get into the first juvenile slot I had. Wow. So, now that's a story yeah. that we have never heard. Like the lead up to you being in this profession. That's so interesting. I want to know a little bit about these hardships or these things that you had to go through before turning your life around and deciding to have a career in criminal justice. Like, just give a little bit. I just need a little bit. You don't have to, you know, put all your business out there. I just need a little bit. <laughs> oh, I was an alcoholic. Well, technically, I still am an alcoholic. Um, I was a raging alcoholic after the army. Uh, I didn't stop drinking. Uh, if it wasn't beer, I carried around a tumbler with me and it was vodka, Red Bulls, Jack and Cokes. And I let myself get to a point where I didn't want to deal with issues. I didn't want to deal with life. It was just wake up, drink, go to work, come home, drink. Um, and a lot of people that you supervise can probably relate to that a lot. I mean, obviously. Oh, yeah. So I think that is so beneficial as far as being in this position that you're in. Wow, that's so dope. I've, there's, I don't like, you know, with the people I work with, they all know. Um, my bosses all know. But there's been a couple of times where it's actually, I've been able to use it as that ace up my sleeve when I'm dealing with a couple of clients and they're like, you have no idea where I'm coming from. You have no idea what I've been through. You know, you don't know what it's like to have any sort of addiction. And I'm like, hold up, listen here. Let me tell you a story. Sit down. You know, it's, it's been beneficial to make that connection to push them a little bit harder and to get them brought back down. Um, so it does help. It also, at least me personally, it makes me feel like, I have a little bit better of an insight into what some of these people are going through in certain cases. Um, especially some of my guys that, you know, have dealt or are dealing with alcohol in certain ways. Um, so I don't automatically think like, come on, man, you can just set the bottle down. Cause I know right. how hard it was for me to set the bottle down. Um, so, you know, for me, I feel like it's a, you know, a tool in my bag. So Definitely. Wow. <laughs> How long has it been since your last drink? This, I just want to know. Over three years now. <laughs> Congratulations. So, That's an thank you. that And thank you for serving our country, too. I didn't even mention that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank definitely you, thank big. You. Especially, you know, the fact that you can use your experiences, um, you know, with drug court, which I think is big. Like, personally, I don't, I, I haven't experienced any of those issues. Um, and I think that's something that the, the offenders try to use um, kind of against you. Like, you just don't understand, you know, you never went through it. Um, and while I've had family members that have gone through it, you know, I've, I've kind of experienced it kind of just, you know, from, you know, living with them and being around them. Um, I haven't gone through it myself and they do try to use that against you, but you know, it's the fact that you can relate, I think is a big thing. Um, like the substance abuse counselors that we have on our team in drug court, um, you know, some of them have, uh, you know, they're in recovery themselves 
and just being able to see how I think they re, they interact best with the clients because they're able to call out the BS. You know, they can see when they're playing games. Oh yeah, and you know when they're lying, and they can see better than some of us who who haven't been there. You know, where I might you know what like oh man yeah he told me this and this and well you know maybe we need to do this or you know maybe give him another chance and then the you know the counselor will pipe up and says nah that's, that's all BS he's playing he's playing us. You know, they can see right through it. And I think that is definitely a really big advantage. Um, but to bring things back, uh, so earlier when you were start talking about you uh, getting into drug court, you, t- you said something about a PTR. What is that? Petition to revoke. Okay. Okay. What? Uh, tell me more about that. Um. So after a certain point of uh, layman's terms, uh because everywhere uses different so terminologies, chances. you know, and different procedures. I'm just trying yeah, to so, see how it so relates to what I do. You've gotten so you've gotten so many chances, you know, you've gotten so many violations, you've done so many things wrong. It's pretty much you're petitioning the courts to revoke the the client's probation and send them back to jail, send them to either to prison. Chris, I know you did this accident. Like you know what that is. Stop playing. I might know what it is, but everybody out there might I not know. I know he knows what it is. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, every state does it differently. So, like, in my state, the only, there's, only, there's only three ways you can be revoked, okay? If they abscond, then they're revocable, okay? If they receive a new conviction while on probation, they're revocable. The third way they're revocable is if they serve two periods of confinement as a, as a, as a violation as a response to their violation. So in, um, in, in, in for felony cases, we can do what are called uh, confinement response to, uh, violation, CRVs, where we got the, the judge can actually send that person to prison for 90 days. Um, and then they get out, continue on probation. If they do two of those and they're still messing up at that point, they, they are revocable, but to act, you know, but to be revocable for anything else, you know, you know, a whole bunch of positives or, you know, they're just not, you know, following all the rules or things like that, or they're not going to treatments or they're not doing things in order to do. None of that makes you revocable. It's only those three things. You abscond, you receive a new conviction, or you serve two periods of uh, confinements. That's it. You know so what I mean? So if you have five dirty UAs and, you're not, and you don't show up to two appointments, let's say that, they won't file a motion? We can, we can file a violation on you and we can take you back in front of a judge either yeah. through an arrest or through giving you a court date. But just um, what you're saying is they won't revoke the whole probation. That's, legally, they can't revoke you off that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So then, uh, at that so point... We won't... But that's only for felonies. We won't do a... That's felonies. For, we won't for do uh, misdemeanor PTR cases, either. we can put them in a jail for a couple of days. <laughs> Um, they can they can serve some active time towards a suspended sentence in the jail, and if they do two of those, then they are then they become revocable if they keep, still keep messing up. So it's not so there's a there's a process to it. It's not like a straight cut forward. You're just totally messing up on probation. We're going to go ahead and revoke you. There's 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 a process. Yeah, to it, if that makes sense. So like when when I was on the the IPS side of the house. Um, like either way, it's really it's still a long process before we go to a PTR because we do everything we possibly can to help somebody. Um, yes. But with us, you know, we still we have more criteria that we can go by to give somebody, you know, to revoke somebody and send them back in front of a judge for that whole process. Um, but you know, say somebody's got. 30 or 40 different violations for multiple things. Um, we can use that to go into a PTR. Um, it does not just have to be, you know, the, the three things that you said in your guys's case on the drug court side of things. It's an even longer process. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when it comes to so many chances, drug court, so many chances. Yeah. And people hate drug you know, court. These guys, but you get more chances, you know. Yeah, you, you get. It's a good and bad so, thing. Yeah, but these guys, you know, this is generally their last chance, and a lot of them are putting in work. 
you know, they've got a lot of community service they're doing, you know, they're going in front of the judge, especially on our, you know, our first levels, our first phases, they're going in front of the judge every single week and talking to the judge. So they're being held accountable to an insanely high standard. Um, you know, for a few of them, if I'm not seeing them, my partner's seeing them every single day. So they've got to deal with probation in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> way too much <laughs> in, in, in the way that they say it, you know. So I, I've got a couple of guys, like, I'll knock on their door or I'll give them a call and they'll stop by the office on their way into work. And they're like, man, I I, I just saw you, like, five hours ago, six hours ago. Come on, man. You know, but it holds them to accountable. So to a higher level of accountability and it helps them through the process, especially when they're coming off of, you know, eight years, nine years of being tied up in these really bad habits. So giving them more leeway, not really leeway, but like more chances does help. Um, yeah, probation and parole is separate with us. Um, we're solely probation in the department I'm with. Um, so since I've been with drug court, I haven't seen, well, I take that back. I just found out one guy's getting PTR. Um, but that's for a whole different, whole different ball game of things. He hasn't even – he didn't even make it into anything. But generally, it's it's a very long process. We give them a lot of, you know, a lot of chances. We work with them, and we will impose things like do written reports. Um, we'll use some of the suspended jail time that they have. We'll put them back on schedules for a longer period of time. We'll increase the amount of time that they have to see us. Um extra counseling. So we constantly work with them because generally there's a, you know, from what I've seen since I've been there, there's a pretty high success rate. What about your uh, court, Chris? Is it a high success rate for your offenders? Um, since I've been there, I can't say it's a high rate. Um, No, I can't say it's a high rate at all. Um, just from my experience being in drug court. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about drug treatment court is that it is designed for high risk and high needs individuals. So when we're talking about high risk people, we're talking about people that, you know, instead of, instead of, you know, when they of going right to prison, this is kind of their last chance. These are people that have extensive criminal histories, extensive drug history, um, you know, most of my, uh, most of my drug court clients are, are high risk offenders or they're, they're, they're what we call level ones, which is the highest supervision level we have. Um, most, that's what most of them are. So when we say high, high risk, that's what we mean that they're, high, they're very high likelihood to reoffend. And then when we said they're high needs, a lot of the, fa- the risk factors and criminogenic needs are very high. Um, you know, they don't have stable housing. Um, clearly, there's, there's some abuses that issue. Um, their family needs are, are high. Um, employment needs are high. So when you're dealing with that type of clientele, so you're talking about people that would be on a intensive supervision, but higher. You know what I mean? Um, so you're talking about people who are, the, the I want to say the worst, but they're up there. Plus, they're they're plus they have this really bad addiction on top of that. Okay, so when you're dealing with that kind of clientele, you just there's just a lot of roadblocks, um, and a lot of, uh, to them, you know, they they take drug court and it's ex- everything's explained to them in terms of you know the classes they have to go to, how often they got to come to court, the fact that you know probation is going to be checking on them a lot, um, all the restrictions they have. And they don't really realize that they're actually in the program and they realize how much of a day-to-day thing drug court is in their life. You know, every day they have to, you know, if they have classes three times a week, intensive outpatient, three times a week, they have to call in every single day to find out if they have a drug screen. 
And if, if, if it's their turn for a drug screen, they got to, no matter what's going on in their day, they got to come down and make that drug screen for the day. In addition, they have appointments with me. They have appointments with the um, their individual appointments with their counselors. They have appointments with the drug court coordinator. Um, you know, they have random drug screens with me on top of the drug screens they do for drug court. So it is a lot. And so are they not succeeding because it's just too much, or they? What's the number one reason why they get revoked? It's because of they of the drug use, or is it like always multiple things? But I want to know, like generally speaking, overall, what's like the number one thing that stands out? It's usually the drug drug usage, and the not in either the inability or the unwillingness to stop the drug usage, which then leads them to disappearing. You guys have heard me say it before with drug court. Well, I don't know about other people's drug court, but with my drug court, they're either in compliance or they abscond. There is nothing in between. They're either doing what they have to do, working on their sobriety. Yeah, they might have a slip up here and there. You know, we'll sanction it. You know, we'll get them back on track. That's our, that's our number one thing is what do we need to do to get this person back on track? We'll get them back on track. We'll work with them. And then you have the people that they decide that it's too much. They don't want to stop using. Sobriety is too hard, and they just abscond. What about on your end, Josh? What's the number one reason? Sobriety. But you know, one thing where where we differ. Well, two things that hearing you talk that we di- that we differ is, um, they don't call in to see if they have to test. Um, either one, we show up. And we're like, hey, surprise, I need a test. Or they get a call from us and saying, hey, I need you here within the next 45 minutes to test. Um, so it's completely surprised. Um, I like that. And, yeah, it's we, – we put in work, you know. Um, my partner and I, we're constantly out. There's, you have maybe one day where we're, where we'll be in the office. And then the rest of the time that we're in the office, it's only to catch up on paperwork. We're in the streets every other time. So it's only um, you two on drug and court? No, we're the, we're the two uh, surveillance officers that are on. There's also two other POs that are on. And then we have our coordinator plus all the attorneys and the judges. So, um, we're the how ones many people that are. Do you supervise? Like, how many people is on your fixed load? That are in the streets right now. I think twenty nine and thirty. So you have like thirty, and your partner has a separate thirty, or is it the same thirty? Oh, okay, the same thirty. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think somewhere in there, um, I'd have to check it. It'll fluctuate depending on if somebody ends up going into treatment or not. Um, I've been gone all last week, so I got to play catch up this weekend. I was in That'll training, so yeah. My catch ups, my catch ups, going to start this evening because I'm going to work all through the night and the rest of the weekend. Um, but another thing is the what you said is you know they're either in compliance or they abscond. I haven't seen that here since I've been on drug court, you know, and even in my time with this, with this agency, I haven't heard about anybody in our drug court program taking off at all. Wow. Um, That's good. Yeah. You know, that might also be in part, like when we were, when we were talking, uh, messaging before this, that might be in part with how much, um, how much supervision we have and how, how our SOs and our POs are in the streets constantly and are moving around and are keeping in contact with these people. So it may not get to that point. Um, it could also be too with our departments, very tight knit. You know, we don't have an insane amount of people, but we all work together as a tight group of family. So there's not the, you know, Hey, I need help. And you're trying to run and find somebody to help you. It's, you know, somebody, one of the other POs, SOs, hey, I'm going to go out. I got to make contacts. And generally, 
four or five people are, yeah, I'm doing the same thing tonight. Let's all go together. You know, and you just make a big hit or you take a couple different vehicles, figure out who's going where and you go. So there's usually a lot of people out and about in these smaller areas and everybody knows what's going on because it is a smaller department and everybody talks. So that could also be a, you know, be another reason why they don't get to that point of compliance or absconding. Now you mentioned that somebody you, always sees them. You mentioned that there were two probation officers also in drug court. Yeah. So what do they do that's different from what you do? Um, they do a lot of the paperwork. They do oh, a lot of okay. the paperwork. Um, and with, so our counties, you know, it's not massive, but it's very spread out and very rural. Um, so they're the, they're the main overseers of everything. They also have other caseloads they cover. Um, and with me and me and my partner, covering such a broad area there's days that i'll drive 300 miles plus so that takes yeah that's a lot <laughs> i hate driving so, you know, i could never do this do you have a department yeah, vehicle or you have a, your own vehicle i i have a department vehicle you know so that unfortunately there's going to be days where i'll be way north and something's got to get done down south so that leaves another person down South in drug court that can handle it, you know? So at all times there's four people, you know, who are around that can handle things and that can work on things. Um, you know, unfortunately I can't make all, can't make certain decisions. So that leaves another person because I'm technically assigned to the South, even though I work North too. So that's two of us assigned to South, two of us assigned to North. So it always so leaves one person a lot dedicated of the paperwork. to North and South. There's an overlap. If the PO is doing a lot of the paperwork and, but you mentioned that you have some catch up to do. So what does that entail? So this weekend, your catch up, what does that look like? Um, I got to see where everybody sits on their mandatory UAs. So like our level ones um, with us, it's three to four. Yeah. Three to four uh, UAs a week that they're mm -hmm. required. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of drug screens. Yeah. Who pays yeah, for that? So, um, county. That's where the tax dollars I, are going to all those drug screens. <laughs> we have a good success rate. You know, that's, that's what's required. So, you know, generally, yeah, you know, we usually hit about three is what, what we go to. If somebody's been doing, you know, kind of going on that downhill slope, slope a little bit. We'll give them the extra. Um, so I got to catch up and see where everybody sits. So Do you have a third party that, that, that uh, actually administers the drug test, the drug test, or you do that? You watch them pee. That's a lot of, yeah. that, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're that's, that's, that's the thing. Well, yeah. average, how many UAs you know, do you do a day? <laughs> well, that you know, that's that's what I got to play the catch up on. So that'll kind of determine. Um, so there's some days where I'll, you know, oh, my check in day, I can hit 15 UAs. Oh, oh, I just hit my head. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know. That was and one thing I hated only, about doing probation. Like I hated watching people pee. Like I was so tired of it. <laughs> That yeah, well, there, there's a caveat to that. That's only if I'm doing my caseload US. Like I said, we work together. We're one big family. You know, if another officer in that office has their check-in going on at the same day, you know, there could be 40 people rolling through that office that day throughout the entire day, and they're going to need US on them. So there's going to be a lot of people dropping samples that day what's the major drug out there where you are in arizona because out here like the major thing was methamphetamine like oh my gosh it was just rampant with meth, positive uh for meth uh we got meth fentanyl and heroin a little bit of heroin but it's mainly meth and fentanyl 
with uh, marijuana is not really a big issue because it's legal and most people that I've seen now have their card other than drug court because we don't allow anything on drug court. So So do you guys oh so you allow the offenders to to smoke weed? No, no, nothing on drug court. I mean like on a regular case load, like a regular Mm -hmm. because it's legal. they could drink alcohol. Especially, you know, no. (laughs) Well that's legal. So they can't drink alcohol, but they can't smoke some marijuana. What? Most people, most people have their medical marijuana card. Uh huh. So that's a doctor saying, "Hey, there is a medical reason why this person has to smoke." You know, then you're okay, saying, so it's only you're saying, if they have the medical card." And most people turn around the second they get on probation and go see a doctor and get a medical card. Oh, is that? So, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. You know, there's there's about a thousand different or probably more than a thousand different, you know, reasons why you can get a medical card. So it's one of those things that being legal, you know, you have your medical card. All right. You know, there's really not much you can do about it at that point once you have your medical card. So, hey, you know, there's all right. It's not put in your terms and conditions, you know, hey, you have your medical card. At least it's, you know, we can't say, you know, like, uh, you know, somebody has severe depression. I can't tell you, you can't take your depression medication because it makes you pop out on a drug test. Or I can't tell you, you can't take your cancer medication because it makes you pop out on a drug test. You've got a prescription for it. You have a prescription for the, for the marijuana. I can't tell you, no even if I'd suspect you're only doing it because you just want to sit around and get high. So, you know. What if the actual person is on for possession of marijuana? If they're like, they're on probation for possession of marijuana and then they, you know, go get their little card, they can still smoke too? They got that card. It's (laughs) medical. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I want to know, Josh, I want to know how is the hiring process in your area? Because if you don't know, I do consulting and a lot of people come to me and they ask me, well, how to get hired? I'm having a hard time. Nobody's um, getting me an interview. Like, how was that process for you? It was painful. (laughs) It was very (laughs) painful. So I, I applied for a year and a half before I got a call back. So, um, you know, unfortunately, most of these, I don't know how it is in many other states, but with us, we're part of the county. So you have to apply to the county. Um, so you have to get through them first. And, and where do you go to apply? Just your county um, With us, it's online. Yeah, with us, it's online. Um, unfortunately, I don't know any rhyme or reason on how to enhance yourself and make you look better with the county. Other than, you know, the main things that anybody would tell you, get somebody to professionally write your resume, um, be smart about how you fill out the application. You know, ours was basic. Um, you know, tell us about yourself. You know, they want to know your criminal history, your background. Do you have any schooling? Do you want to upload a resume? Do you have any professional certifications? And then submit it. So and to be a PO there, do you have to have a college degree? Yeah. Uh, POs are college degree, uh, bachelor's level. Uh, SOs are uh, just either they would like to see associate level, some college, or no degree. Um, once I got a call back, I went into a board-style interview um, with two of the deputy chiefs, and – that was, I thought it was fairly easy just, but I've been through board style interviews before, but, you know, they ask you all of the basic questions, you know, they want to know about yourself. Um, I also did a lot of preparing for the interview. How did you uh, Cause I really, um, with me being a veteran, I had access to different, 
uh, veterans services uh, through what is it? Uh, uh, U.S. Vets, Hire Heroes. I forget the other one, but they set me up with mock interviews. Oh, that's and, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And a couple of them had retired probation officers on them. So nope, they nope. knew most of the questions they were yep. going to ask. <laughs> um, you know, they asked the basic questions. Tell us about yourself, you know. They ran through the job descriptions, and then it was, let's play the waiting game again. Um, Once I got the job offer, you had to go through the county side of things and go through all their background checks, their driver's license checks, and then you had to go through the probation side of the house things, which was psych psych interview, uh, background check, psych interview, filling out all their paperwork and then you got to work and there was a lot of on the job training. Um, excuse me. We have DT class, which ours runs about a week long. Defensive tactics. And yeah, defensive tactics. And then depending, there's only, Two different two jobs where you're not given an option to carry for firearms, and that is if you work our school program, because we do have a school program for juveniles, which is awesome. Um, and of course, juvenile detention. Um, so they, they don't have the option at all. Everybody, no, because you okay. know you're in a detention facility, and well, then with that one makes sense. A school program. Yeah, but it, so and they then with it carrying the school schools? program, well, they only have one school. So with our school program, we have a actual school that it's a county school, but ninety percent of the kids that go there are on probation, mm-hmm. and the administrators of that school don't really like the idea of the people, the the SOs that are in there carrying. Um, Cause they sit in there all day. Don't ask me, don't know the rhyme or reason for it. Um, but they also take care of the kids after school and during the summers. So that's an awesome program. Um, everybody else has the option to carry. So you go through a week long firearms course with that. And then you have multiple refreshers through the year that you have to go through. You have the probation officer academy you have to go through. And then we do epics here. I don't know if you guys do that. Yeah. So we don't have that class. What is um the how long is the academy? The probation off I think it's a week. I think it's a week long academy. They oh, do. Short. And it's con yeah, it's condensed down. But we have a lot of on the job training. You have it like so, quarterly or what? Well, when you first start, you spend an obscene amount of time doing training with other officers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's our big thing is on the job. Instant. Throw you straight into it and put that's you with the That's the best way to officer. learn anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then we do quarterly training for, of course, refreshers on DT and firearms. And then on top of it, there's other trainings in between. So we have a lot of training constantly through the year. So you don't just have that, oh, I'm just going to work and work and work and slack off no training. No matter which way you turn, there's always some sort of refresher training coming up. That is so So, important in this field. And what kind of firearm do they issue you guys? We have uh, Glock 22s. Okay, 40 cal. Yeah. Okay. Is that is there is that what you guys are planning on sticking with? Are they talking about changing at all? Because I know that a lot of departments We're are gonna, switching from forty to nine millimeters. Is what my department did. Well, we're going to stay with those for a while, most likely. So everyone okay. seems happy with them. So yeah, that's what I carried when I was yeah. a juvenile officer. Was a uh, the Glock twenty three, which was funny because 
the juvenile officers carried 23s and our adult department carried the 19s, which is nine millimeter. It was always funny. So <laughs> juveniles carry 40s, but adults carry nines. That's kind of <laughs> weird. We, we have some 23s and generally it's just preference. You can, you can ask for a 23 if you want it. And if they have it sitting in the armory, no, no issue of 23, but most people have 22s. The big boy, the full, the full size. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell us about. So, just get a straight. So you're a surveillance officer. So yeah. Are Are there any like one one thing? I am jealous that there's that there's you have a partner because I don't have a partner. It's just me. I run drug court. It's just me. Um, I. And how many offenders do you have, Chris, on your, on your roster right now? How many do you have? On I, have your- I have about thirty. In, on the streets, I have about thirty, and it's just um, him, and it's just me. Sorry, um, and it's, and they're, the drug court clients—they're very needy. There's a lot of checking up on them. There's a lot of it, um, and some of it is just almost like kind of like welfare checks, just to make sure they're still they're still alive. Honestly, because um, you no, know, I don't know about your area, but um, you know, we have a lot of fentanyl users in our area, and it's really bad. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it's just kind of just popping up to check on them. You know, are you, are you still alive? You still here? Or, you know, I get a call from, you know, the counselor say, Hey, your guy missed, you know, two or three classes. So now I'm like, well, now I'm in a car trying to figure out why they're missing their classes, you know, make sure they're not, you know, they're still around, you know? Um, Oh, Chris, are you doing UAs on these people or is someone else supervising that UA? So in, in the way the way it's run in my department is the actual drug court program, which is run by the county, uh-huh. they do um, saliva swabs that are sent to the lab. So all drug screens are sent to the lab and they do a minimum of two a week. They can do more, but we generally just do two. Then on the probation side, I do UAs um, based on our my department's policy. And then, and also then if, if there's any questions or something seems a little suspicious or if the, the team asks me to, that I can do random pop-up drug screens on them. But it's, I'm not the one out there generally doing the screens. That's See, that's why Jackson's that's doing account. drug screens like all day. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think that is um, so weird how you guys have the, those differences. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's uh, Every program is different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so as a surveillance officer, primarily you're just more like field work oriented. Yeah, generally, you know, I spend I spend most of my time in the field, but you know, if the if one of the officers takes off, um, you know, what was it three weeks ago? One of our officers take took off for uh, two weeks, took vacation, and they went, "Hey, Josh, congratulations! There's your phone." You're now the PO. Have a good have a good couple of weeks. You know, so we we covered down. Um but yeah, mo- most of what I do is field house home contacts, you know. I spend a lot of time on my phone because I text these guys and girls constantly. Like since we've been in the last what 48 minutes, I've got give me one second. I've gotten like seven text messages from my what clients. Is your, what's your work schedule? Um, I make my own schedule. So generally I'll do, you know, I'll try to keep it around four days a week in some way, just because I work, I'll end up working so much, but I can go four days a week. I can go five days a week. Um, I'll work one weekend, two weekends a month. Um, and when I do that, I'll flex out days the next week. So, so when you when you're off, you completely check out. You're not on checking any messages. You're not getting any phone calls or anything. Um, I try to. <laughs> I try to, but you know, like you said, the these with drug court, there's a lot of times that they're very needy. And so I will at least end of the day, middle of the day, check my phone and make sure that something crazy hasn't happened. Cause there's a lot of times 
somebody will only text me. They won't text the other people that are on the team and with an emergency or with an actual issue. And in that case, you know, Hey, I'll respond to it or I'll at least pass it to my partner or one of the other officers and be like, Hey, you know, Mikey boy said that uh, he's got a family emergency and he needs to get a travel permit or this and then, okay. Yeah. I'll deal with it. You know, something like that. But generally try to check out. We flex. You do flex. So, um, yeah. So we flex out. Um, like we it, can get overtime. Like it. It's not. It's not bad with with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got. I got a plethora of kids. How many kids do you have? <laughs> I got six kids. Okay, that is a lot. Got a squad. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they're my oldest is nine, my youngest is not even two. So and oh then my, my wife does my wife does photography. So her schedule constantly changes when she books somebody. So that makes it really easy. And this schedule best for me, you know, with kids got having plays or if one of them gets sick, you know, being able to flex things out, I'm like, all right, boss, hey. I've got like five hours sitting trying to take off, you know, so that way we don't have to get a babysitter when my wife goes and does a shoot. You know, I things love like that, that flexibility. What yeah, is the, that's, what's the that's pay probably like the though? best. Um, starting out for surveillance officers, we're about, I mean, I don't know what it is across there, but we're about average. Um, our probation officers are getting what the county guys, the county um, sheriffs make. What, what so is that? Mid forties, mid forties. So not horrible, not the best, but for this region, um, it's pretty good. That's better than what you they know. make over here in Texas. You know, um, and that's part in part because of our, our chief. We have an amazing chief up here. He has done a lot of work for this department. Um, that, you know, that goes back to what I say. We've been like a family. There's not a time if you don't need help, somebody is immediately there to help you. Um, you know, that's from what I've heard, talking with a lot of people out of state and a lot of people around, you see that, but you don't see it as tightly as we have it here which is a good thing. Um, But you see it a lot in the whole state. A lot of the guys have been around in this state for so long that they don't just know each other, you know, as like on a first name basis, they know each other's families. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Does that contribute to how difficult it is to get on? Because, like, these families, <laughs> you know, if you know somebody, uh, it might help you get on. No, I, it's just, you know, I, I contribute how hard it was to get on because it's the county hiring process. Okay. And getting on with counties can be a pain. Um, yeah, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape. Unnecessary. Yeah, the, bureauc- the bureaucracy is horrible. If you ask anybody, mm-hmm. um, it, it, the, nobody can tell you why. <laughs> Absolutely nobody can tell you why it takes so long to get on with anybody in the county. It just does. <laughs> yes, it just. So does. anybody listening, so. have patience, okay? If you apply in Arizona, just have your patience ready. <laughs> yeah, and and you might be one of the lucky ones where you put in an application, you get a you get a call back the next day, or it could take a very long time. So it's just, it's that government, you know, government style job. How, you know, how are your staffing no levels? To it. How are your staffing right levels? Right now we're, we're almost full. I think we've got like three positions open. Um, right. When I started, we needed a lot of people. So in the, in the past, what well, we've gotten almost full in the past six months now. We finally got people started coming in. 
but for a while there, we had some officers carrying three caseloads. They're splitting caseloads apart. Guys were jumping, you know, jumping back and forth from office to office, doing what they could to help each other. So there was a lot of teamwork going on, which was awesome to see, you know, but it was, it was stressful for some people for a long while. Um, we did have a high turnover rate, but that was partially due to the fact that we are a smaller area where I am and people will use that to their advantage. They come in, work for six months to a year, get that experience. experience. Yeah. Go somewhere else. And then, and then jump. But you see that in a lot of, you know, you see that in a lot of small agencies, you know, but well, if they would get right that now experience, we've got a great team. Move to where, where would they go? They'd go to a larger agency. You know, we had, we've seen people, uh, we've seen a lot of people stay. We've got a lot of people who have been around for 20 years, uh, 25 years, in fact. Uh, but we've seen people jump down to larger counties. We've seen people jump over to uh, police agencies and sheriff agencies, but they just use it as a, you know, let me get my foot in the door. Let me start getting experience. And then, you know, they may get a better offer or they may see a place that is just a better fit for them with hey, I want to live in a bigger city. I want to live here. I want to live there type of thing. So, cause like I said, where, where I am, where I'm at is pretty rural. So. Uh, all right, let's change topics a little bit. Uh, what's all the safety equipment that is that's issued to you besides the Glock twenty three? <laughs> um, so we have we get vests, radios, OC spray, batons, and cuffs. Okay. So you guys were uh, external carriers or concealed carriers? Yes. Um, external carriers, but there is the set up where you can wear them internal. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a couple of people who do that when they go out at nights, but most everybody wears them external. Okay. And how do you guys work with uh, local law enforcement in your area? What's, what's the relationship like? Um, I'd say about 95% good. There's, there's two agencies... Yeah, there's two agencies where there's some, you know, some little hiccups, but that's more just random miscommunications. But in, uh, I'll give you an example. I was having, you know, I'm an hour away from one of the towns um, where I got a got a bunch of people, a bunch of my clients in, and um, I needed to keep a little bit extra eye on one of my one of my guys, and so I shot a text message to one in the daytime officers and was like hey dude here's what's going on if you see him let me know nighttime guy here's what's going on if you see him let me know my phone didn't stop dinging between multiple different officers um we keep in touch with dispatch constantly we work really good with both um our criminal investigations division so we have great working relationships. Um, these guys, I wouldn't say at the drop of a dime. I would love to say at the drop of a dime will be there to help us. Um, there's some that will, but that's just because of the personal relationships. A lot of the officers have built because like I said, we do have some officers that have been with our department for, I want to say one of them is like 25 years now. Um, our chief's been around for, very very long time um but most of the time if you call they will come they don't play that game of like oh it's just probation we don't care no it's a they need a probation assist and the first thing dispatch asks are you guys code for you guys secure you okay and if there's any inkling that it's like yeah it's an iffy situation pd or sheriffs are coming um so there, there's a great working relationship there. Very good. That's good. That's really good. I think you could do that when uh, when the probation is on a county level like that. Where I work, we're a 
we're a state agency, even though we're divided up into every county, we're a state agency, and I think we lose a lot of that um that connection with other departments. It's kind of like you guys do your thing, we'll do our thing, and if there happens to be some kind of overlap, we'll deal with it, but it's not very often, you know what I mean um, well we we still have a good relationship with DPS, which is the Department of, you know, Arizona Department of Public Safety, our state troopers, because we work, we've worked with them such a, you know, on such a many occasions. So there, there's just been a lot of work over the years. And I would say we're lucky. We're severely lucky to have that. So. I know that there's, I've heard a bunch of cases from different guys, even within the state, that they don't have that. So I'd say we're, we're on the top end of being lucky for that. That's good. I feel like that's, that's kind of how things were when I was a juvenile officer. Like, I had a really good relationship with the people I worked, the, the law enforcement I worked with, where they would always call me and let me know what's going on. But like I said, where I'm at now, being a large agency, a lot of officers, you just don't have that connection like you like you like you would in a smaller more more rural area like that. So that's definitely good if you guys hold on to that. Um yeah. is there uh any word of advice for anybody, you know, looking to get into this field, whether probation, surveillance officer? Or or encouragement for officers who are already in it. So cause they, these officers, y'all need some encouragement because that job is hard. <laughs> so to get into it. If this is what you want to do, or if this is, you know, if this is what you want to do, do it. You know, this is a hard job, but it yields great reward. Um, At this training, there was one of the officers, uh, one of the instructors who's been around for, I think, 34 years is what he said he's been doing this for. And he said less than 10 times he has had clients come up to him on the streets years after they've been off probation they've told him you know hey i have a wife now i have kids now i have a family i haven't used i haven't committed crimes in years and it's because of you he said you know 35 years less than 10 times he said that is what makes it worth it absolutely so got 35 years in less than 10 times that's what makes it worth it um for word of encouragement Leave it at the door. Like where 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 I'm at, um, I remember one of your guys in one of your interviews. He said, you know, in the time he's been on, he hasn't had much, you know, had to go hands on with people. We have a few times um, where we're at. I've been the first one on a call that I've come on and had to deal with a couple of fires. I've done a couple of assists. This job gets stressful really quickly. Um, You know, one of our our presiding judge at the county made a statement. He goes, police and sheriffs, they deal with people, felons, criminals, random people for minutes to hours. We deal with convicted felons for years at a time it starts to wear on you do everything you can to leave it at the door and not take it home to your family that's the biggest thing you can do i learned that when i was in the army and i didn't learn it the right way which is what led me down a bad path but always find one thing you can do every day when you get off shift before you go home before you leave the office to take a couple of minutes to clear your head so that way you don't let it eat you. Because if it starts to eat you, you're not going to be any good to yourself. You're not going to be any good for your family, your kids, or your department. And I haven't met many people that are in this for the wrong reasons, if any. I'm pretty sure everybody I know is in it for the right reasons. And I would say probably anybody that follows you guys is in it for the same reasons, for a good reason to be there, to help people, you know, to do this, to make changes. Don't lose the right reasons. So just find that one thing you can do to take that off and leave it at the door before you go home. Oh, that's a word. Thank you, Josh. 
No. Thank you, guys. I think that's a great place to leave this off on. Um, Josh, we thank you for being on the the interview today. I thank you. All right. I love you guys. I love watching you. I love listening to all your podcasts. (laughs) Thank you very much. You know, we we do it for you guys. All right, everyone, please make sure you're following us, following us at the Two Hats Podcast on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. We're also, uh, all these episodes are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and I think there's another one we're missing. Um, but definitely we're all available on all the platforms. Um, you can follow me at the tactical underscore probation officer, Brittany. You can follow me at your favorite PO on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. But y'all DM us if you'd like to be featured for our next episode. Until next time, you guys have a great day. Mm-hmm.